This episode of Little Bit of Life podcast is brought to you by Bella Sante Health. I found this incredible company that was based in Arizona, just from the state that I moved from. When I was having issues with anxiety, depression, I was dealing with so many emotions in my life and I didn't know where to turn. Bella Sante Health, they pride themselves on creating some of the finest CBD products on the market. Doctor recommended and third-party tested with a registered nurse on staff. They utilize 99.9% pure hemp isolate grown in Colorado with less than 0.3% THC. Their CBD products is legal in every 50 state possible. It's also incredible because it's able to be used by those that are in the blue line field, law enforcement, military, veterans, as well as truck drivers and anyone and everyone that might be concerned about testing. They also even make small animal CBD oils and salves for your furry friend. They were founded in Tucson, Arizona in 2019 by a group of medical professionals and athletes. That's why they have a scientific approach to health and a commitment to excellence in everything that they do. Make sure to give them a follow on their Instagram at Bellasante Health, or you can check out their website at bellasantehealth.com. Contact them today for all of your health, beauty, and wellness needs. They are also there to help your pets and will provide a free consultation for all listeners. Welcome to Little Bit of Life podcast with your host, Tabitha, better known as Little. A lot of you may know her from social media, but Little is shown off the apps. Dedicated to having the real, raw, and occasional chats about what we seem to think, but don't say. Special guests will join in along the way that have impacted her in a profound way. Very little is left off limits, so sit back, enjoy, and here's your host. Hey guys, welcome into another episode, a little bit of Life Podcast with Little. Today, I have an amazing guest on with me. You have seen her videos that are popping up all over social media, whether you're on Instagram, whether you're on TikTok. And when we think of blue line families and we think of someone losing their life, especially, we always think of in the line of duty. But I have an amazing wife, widow, mother, author, you name it. She is everything wrapped into one. Her name is Whitney and she is on with us today. How are you doing? I am doing well. I hope you're doing well also. I am so honored to have you on to not only discuss what you have been through, but how you're evolving and expanding to grow in the grieving process. When we have listeners that are on and we talk about grief and mourning, there's so many different stages that I feel like so many people feel almost guilty of the progression that they feel and having to kind of live life on the day to day. So for our listeners that may not have seen, can you share a little bit about what you have been through? Sure. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, so my husband, my late husband, Ryan Allen, um, he was a canine officer at Hatboro Police Department um, for almost 10 years. And he actually started the canine program there. And he was really making a name for himself. Um, we had our first child, Jackson, in 2018, and he was three at the time of Ryan's accident. Um, I was pregnant with our second boy, 26 weeks pregnant. And on October 14th, uh, 2021, he got stung by a bee with no previous allergic um, reaction to any venom or anything like that and went into anaphylactic shock which caused him to go into cardiac arrest and 
He was deprived of oxygen for 20 minutes um, before the EMS could restart his heart. And that caused what's known as an anoxic brain injury. So that's what happens when your brain is deprived of oxygen um, and brain damage happens. So that is what happened to Ryan. And that started a cascade of interventions to try to um, get him to recover And it was actually very touch and go for a while. We didn't even think that he was going to make it past the night of his accident. And um, he did begin physically to improve um, when he was in the ICU at Penn Presbyterian in Philadelphia. And he fought so hard, he was even able to get off um, the ventilator. He weaned himself off of that, which was amazing. And we had so much hope. Um, coming out of that ICU stage, he was even responding to some of commands from family members like me and his mom and sister. Uh, And then he just started after that um, admission, there was some setbacks with his physical health because he had a trach um, because he was weaned off the ventilator, but they had to put a trach in because you have to keep that airway protected just in case because he had a brain injury, so you're not able to keep that um, that airway open. So they need that's a way to keep him safe, and you can't control mm-hmm. your saliva and all the things that we take for for granted that we as people that do not have brain injuries do without even thinking. He was not able to do. Um, he was in what's known as a, a vegetative or minimally conscious state. So although he looked like he was awake or asleep and he could blink his eyes. He didn't know what was going on around him. Um, he couldn't communicate. He couldn't interact. And because of his trach and because of just he wasn't able to move, that causes a lot of physical impairments. Um, so he had a lot of issues and he was in and out of hospitals, unfortunately. And finally, he was able to go to Moss Rehab to try to rehab his brain. And that was kind of our last hope to try to get him out of this minimally, minimally conscious state. Uh, and then he wasn't improving and skin showed that his brain had literally shrunk, um, to the point where his team, his doctors, you know, were able to give us a prognosis that he would never be able to live a normal life, not even probably come out of this vegetative state because, when your brain suffers that much damage, it's just not possible. Um, and this is only able to show up after months because you're there's so much swelling after that initial injury. You, you just can't tell. Um, so it was a five-month ordeal trying to get him better and in and out of hospitals and rehab um, when we finally decided to put him on hospice because I knew and his mom and sister knew he wouldn't want to live not a life. He, it's not a life he was living. Um, so we put him on hospice uh, March. It was actually the 10-year anniversary of when we met. He came home on hospice on March. It's uh, St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, 2022. And he passed away 22 days later on April 7th, 2022. When his injury happened, how old was he at the time? He was 35. And no prior history or anything, even, you know, with bee stings or anaphylactic or anything like that whatsoever? 
No, he had been stung in childhood. Um, he was always outside with Louie and he just loved being outside in general. Uh, and he had been stung. I, we were together for 10 years, so he had been stung before. Um, you know, he he actually hated bugs and he would go out if there was like a nest or something and he would deal with it. And, um, you know, never, he would never have thought that this would have happened um, because... Mm -hmm you know, he never had a problem before. During this five month process, if we have someone that may be um, similar to a situation in your shoes, how do you keep staying there for your partner and staying positive through the grief process of the unknown while also still maintaining a life and a family atmosphere at home when you have children and you're still having to be that partner for your partner and making those medical decisions, but also being a mom for your children at home? Yeah, I think in my situation, it was so unique because Ryan wasn't, it, it's a little bit different if someone has like a type of cancer or like a terminal illness where they're still able to communicate because they they can still up to a point make decisions on their own. And in this case, I was his person. He couldn't communicate. He couldn't make any decisions for himself. And you know, we say that Ryan died twice and once was on October 14, 2021, because that's when his essence, his soul died, because after that, we we lost him. Like we never got him back after that. And his body died in April, but we really lost him in October. Um, and when that happens, I, what I would call a death, you're in complete shock and survival mode. Um, there's no honestly, there's no advice like I could give. It's, it's just, you have to push forward and you do what you have to do in the moment. And I remember a lot of people saying to me, you're so strong. Like, I don't know how you're doing this and you're not strong. You have to do this. Um, I was pregnant. Like I, you know, I had to take care of my toddler. Um, these are things I didn't have an option. I had to make decisions for my husband. Like there was just me and, I was obviously, I had help from my mother-in-law and sister-in-law and brother-in-law that were, we were communicating and they helped me so much during that time with, with the boys after Leah was born and Jack, um, Jackson, my toddler, but you know, you're just, you're numb, you're in shock. Um, you're literally just taking it one moment at a time. So, you know, my advice would probably like my words of wisdom, like that comes later because you know, you're just in survival for whatever time period that is that you're just surviving. There are the seven stages of grief. And I have a friend of mine, she lost her fiance, just a very random freak accident on a ranch. And she always states for those that are not grieving, for those that have not lost someone, it's very difficult to understand and process the feelings. Um, I feel like everyone feels that you should mourn, which is obviously those outside feelings and what everyone else sees on the outside. But grieving and mourning are so different. And everyone expects there's just this time period that you're just kind of supposed to pick up and move on. And there's really no such thing. There's no time period. There's no there's no right or wrong. Um, and so for those, those seven stages of grief, it's shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance and hope, and then processing that grief. Did you feel like you stayed in pretty much a linear line or was it just always every day is always something different? Cause it's always, you know, those feelings that you're working through of, of the trauma that has happened. Oh God, no. Um, the, the seven stages of grief, it's, it's a, it's a structure. 
Um, and some people go through all of them. Um, I would really doubt that people go through them in a linear process. I, I just don't think that's human nature. And also you kind of like bounce. Um, and some people don't, they skip some and then they go back to some. So yes, it's a structure. I think it's a good place to start when people, you know, when people are grieving and I feel like our society is so grief illiterate, like people go and Google grief and they find like the seven stages of grief. And now there's even a new one that's called um, finding meaning. Um, and I have found in my process that like all of these stages, quote unquote, uh, they are not linear. They come up very randomly. They bounce around and sometimes you skip some. Um, and mm -hmm. I think everybody that suffers a loss, they're an individual. So they're never going to experience even like the same type of event. Like my sister-in-law and mother-in-law, we experienced um, the loss of Ryan. However, that loss is different for each of us because I lost a husband, you know, my mother-in-law lost a son, my sister-in-law lost a brother and how we experienced that even those like six months and how we're experiencing after Ryan's death, like that is so unique and how they mm -hmm. have been handling their grief is way different than how I've been handling it. Um, and what stages they've gone through are way different than me and their meaning that they take from it is way different than me. So I would say I, cause people feel guilty when they're like, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm processing this well, or I don't think I'm like not at this stage yet. Or they, they try mm -hmm. to overanalyze where they are in their journey. And I think, I think that's where they get frustrated when they're like, I should be better now, or like, I should be over this, or I should be able to function, or I should like, why can't I feel happy again or content or just normal? And they get so judgmental because of this structure that we've been given. And it's, it's a very helpful structure, but I think you can't, it can't be placed perfectly into all of these like little puzzle pieces. Um, that's just mm -hmm. grief is really messy. Um, so I think people just need to give themselves so much more grace than they think that they should, like they even feel they mm -hmm. deserve um, when they're going mm -hmm. through a loss. I always do polls, um, especially on social media, before I do a topic and discussion. And it was interesting when I did the poll and asked people what grief meant to them or if they've experienced that. So many of the answers were, I think I have, but I'm not sure. And it was so similar to what you said. I feel like I've done it the wrong direction, the wrong way and bouncing around too much. And that's why we're really doing this topic, especially with you to discuss that there is no right or wrong. There is no from point A to point B, everyone is different in the grieving process and that it's okay to work with what works best for you on a day-to-day -day basis. So with your website and when, when we go on your Instagram and your social media, it shows that you are coming out uh, early 2023 with a book. What are you writing about and what is the title? We need to know all the details for the listeners. Sure. Uh, yes, my memoir, uh, Running in Trauma Stilettos, is coming out in the end of February. I don't have an exact date yet, but that um, will be coming. I'll be sharing that soon. So the end of February of this year, so next month. Um, and it is about, well, number one, it's about Ryan and I's love story. Uh, and it's also about 
his accident and the aftermath, his death and my life um, and our family's life after he dies and what that process was like. And um, I wanted people to know what it was like to go through grief and trauma in this very extreme situation, because I think that as a society, people are so afraid to touch these really hard things. Like they don't want to talk about people in the ICU and like being hooked up to all these machines and having to decide if this young man is going to live. And they don't talk about what hospice is like, and we don't talk about death. And we, we don't talk about all of these quote unquote taboo subjects because it reminds of, reminds us of our mortality. It reminds us that, you know, that might be us one day. Like it reminds us that this life isn't guaranteed and, and, and that life is really messy. And that can sometimes be very uncomfortable for people, especially people that haven't experienced that kind of loss because they don't want to even go there because it's so painful to imagine what that's like that they prevent themselves from imagining. So I wanted to write a book that I felt that I needed when I was going through the worst days of my life, that I felt I needed somebody to say, this is okay to feel these ways. It's okay to you know, like have a vodka soda at 10 a.m. because like you just can't deal sometimes. Mm -hmm. And like after I had Leo, my the baby, I, you know, like I was coping, like I was using alcohol as a coping mechanism. Like that's what we do. I was cursing a lot. Like, cur I mean, I curse now, but I was cursing at doctors. I was cursing at credit card people like on the phone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had never, I was like this crazy version of myself that I had never experienced. And we don't talk about that. We, we want to, we have this like Hollywood vision of what like a widow or somebody or like a woman that is at her husband's hospital bed. And it's like, just this sad, like despair, like person that's just, you know, sitting visual. And, and it's not, it's not like that at all, especially hospice. It's not at all what you would imagine it's so chaotic. It's not like people are just around the bed, like calm and playing music. It's like people are screaming and crying. And, you know, I'm begging for the nurse to give Ryan like more medication because I want him to die faster because watching him die like this slowly is painful. Like it's, it's that visceral and it's really messy. Like that's the only word I have for it. It is like not at all what you would imagine. And I wanted to bring to light these really gritty, raw, real parts of death and life and trauma and grief. And that's what I do in this memoir. I cannot wait for this book to come out. I'm so excited. I will post all your information in the bio as well for this episode. So please continue to follow up with our look for this book. And also through your process, you have also you have a website that you provide grief coaching. So how is that with, um, is it something that you take on new clients? How, like, what is the process when people come to you and work through their grief alongside of what you've learned and still continue to learn? Yeah. So I will be certified, um, as a grief educator at the end of January. So right now, I'm not seeing clients. I will be seeing clients at the beginning of February and I'm taking applications now. Um, and I'm only taking 12 clients every three months because I really want to focus on 12 people at a time and their healing process. Um, 
you know, and this can be widows. There have been many other uh, people that have applied for the program that have lost parents or siblings. Um, but I am, I will be certified to help people who are grieving all kinds of loss. Um, and, you know, I'm really just excited to kind of dig deeper into this world of grief because I really feel like, unfortunately, because of what happened, um, I just have such a understanding of what that's like. And I feel like I can really help people move forward and find meaning um, from these losses and be able to live a joyful life, even while mm -hmm. they're grieving, even while they are trying to honor the person that they lost. Um, it doesn't have to be an or you don't like lose someone and like you lose your living. I think that there's so much living to do after you lose somebody, even though it's so hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that people just don't really know how to do that. They don't know how to find themselves again, their identity, their joy, their laughter, their smile, all of these things after they lose somebody, especially a spouse, because that is, you're so wrapped up in your identity and this other person for so many years or however long you're with somebody. And it's so hard. It's such a jolt and shock to the system. When you lose that person, it's like, who I, who am I? Like, I don't even know who I am anymore. And that is absolutely terrifying. And and that happens, that loss of identity happens with all kinds of losses. But I experienced that when I lost Ryan, for sure. Did you have that almost guilty feeling of, I feel like I'm moving on and I and I feel like I'm letting go? Because I, I, I hear so many, and that's always almost the internal struggle of, I feel this massive amount of guilt. Why am I still here? My partner's not, my spouse is not. And you almost feel guilty of like, you have to stay stuck in that grief and traumatic moment because of the guilt of moving on. And like, you're, like you said, you're finding the joy and the smile and the laughter in life, but still your spouse is missing from that. Yeah. And I, I think that guilt is what holds people back from moving forward and finding happiness after a loss. Um, and what I say to that is, I, I feel like I'm very fortunate because Ryan was such, I mean, he was such a magical person. Like he just loved life so much. Um, he taught me so much about how beautiful this life is. And to me, to honor him and to feel closer to him is to be happy. Um, and that mm -hmm. was a gift that he gave me, uh, you know, just by living the way that he did. But I know for other people, they feel closer to their loved ones when they're in deep grief. And I think that by mm -hmm. switching that mentality to saying, maybe I can feel even closer to the person that I lost when I'm in this joyful state, that's really powerful. Um, but that's really, that shift is very difficult. Um, and it takes a lot of work and healing and intentional actions to be able to do that. Uh, but I, I can say it's possible because I, I do, I feel closer to Ryan when I'm in that just joyful state. With the passing of Ryan, what does life look like now? Do you find that you almost take in the little things that maybe you took for granted before? Um, or what does life look like within the household? I think that's very difficult for most on the outside to understand when you lose a spouse. It's always, you're in the grieving process. Um, 
immediately after everyone's there for you, they want to help you. But then there's that moment where you're alone processing those feelings, going through that grief process. And then it's almost like, what, what does life look like on the other side when you're still working through that? But like you said, you're finding your happiness again while still staying bonded and close with the loss that you have. Yeah. After Ryan died, that was one of the things that I found to be that's really difficult because you come out, at least in my situation, you come out of this kind of artificial life where you're in and out of hospitals. There's people around you all the time. You're surrounded by all of these things. And in normal life, you're not like usually it's just you or your husband and your kids. And, um, you know, it it wasn't a normal situation. And then Ryan died. And that night I was by myself, like everyone was so exhausted and like they needed to go home. And it was just me and my screaming baby who wouldn't sleep. He was three months old and my toddler. And that was like my jolt into this new life without Ryan. Um, And it was really scary. And I had a lot of anxiety and I didn't have a choice but to just continue to show up for my life because I had these two little people that I had to be there for. Like I couldn't not let my son Jackson had to go to school. My baby had to be fed and taken care of and rocked and all the things. Um, And I feel like getting back to my life and doing all of these activities that I did before Ryan's accident and now I'm doing them again and they feel so heavy and different because this person is not here but I was forced to have to do these things again um and I think that really helped me get back to the stage of my life where I could feel content again because I had to force myself out of my comfort zone and talk to people and go to the grocery store and you know, do all the things that you do when it's just normal life. Um, And I would encourage Mm -hmm. people that when they're in this acute grief, I mean, I think I, you need to feel all of those feelings. You need to grieve, you need to cry, you need to scream, you need to do whatever you need to do to process those emotions. Like you can't just have these emotions stagnant in yourself, but you also need to move. Like you need to act because You can't expect to find peace and contentment again if you don't put in the work. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think our society today, it's easy to just say, okay, it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to sit and watch Netflix all day and eat, you know, ice cream and like feel sorry for yourself. And I think there's a place for that. Sure. Like I'm all about rest and like taking care of yourself and like, doing what you need to do, but you also need to balance that with getting back to your life. Um, And for me, I didn't have that luxury of being able to hide away in my bedroom. I had two little kids. Like I didn't, I didn't get that luxury, but I do feel now that that was an integral part of me being able to move forward because I didn't have a choice, but to try to show up for my life again. Your children were so young when Ryan passed. What does it look like in keeping your partner's memory alive and and making sure that they not only know who their father was, but maintaining that relationship at bond? Because you have 10 years worth of memories. So if we have maybe a widow that's listening with children, how it, what is your first step to maybe go into that process? Uh, well, one of the things that 
I felt was very healing and therapeutic and something I felt like I needed to do. And that was, I mean, this is very personal, but when Ryan died, it still looked, our environment still looked like Ryan lived here. Like he could come home at any moment. Like his shoes were still, you know, near the door and his keys and his sunglasses. Um, So my physical environment changed. Like I kind of made our home as if we're honoring him versus like he's coming home. So in the kids playroom, we have a wall that's like a daddy wall that has all of his uh, canine certificates and his pictures. um, And all the boys have pictures of daddy in his room. And we talk about him all the time. And I show my son Jackson, who obviously knew him for for three and a half years, um, videos of him. Mm -hmm. And my son Jackson has such an amazing memory. Like he will see like a toy he got at McDonald's that Ryan took him at like two years ago. And he'll remember that his daddy took him to McDonald's and they got this toy. Um, so when he says those things, I always say, you know, Oh, that's really nice. Like I miss daddy. And I, I try to open up that conversation for him because I want him to know that it's, it's, really special and beautiful to talk about Ryan. Um, and I don't want him to, to feel like that makes me sad or like he shouldn't talk about him, even if it makes me sad, like it's okay if I'm sad. Um, and, but when he talks about Mm -hmm. him, it's just full of joy. It's not, he's not full of sadness. I love that you focus on allowing that open line of communication between your children and with you, even if it does make you sad, you're giving them that ability to, state how they're feeling, communicate, ask questions when they get older. I, I think that's very amazing that you're allowing that, even though as the as the wife, you're going through all of the memories that you have when they're discussing that, which has to be very difficult at the same time. Yeah, it's one of the most painful things is when, now it's it's less painful, but at the beginning when Jackson would talk about Ryan and say things that are just so sweet and you know, like he doesn't really, or at least now, like understand the gravity of everything. And, um, you know, those, some of the things that he would say would really just like bring me to my knees. Um, but it's so important to keep that dialogue open because you don't want them, especially small children to shut down and feel like they're protecting you by not talking about it because they're very intuitive. Like they pick up on that. Um, so I encourage him to talk about Ryan all the time. And I, I think, you know, part of my healing has been being able, because I'm able to talk about it with him and him talking about Ryan with, to me. Well, I really appreciate that you came on and spoke with us. I truly hope that this episode at least reaches one person that may just feel I'm lost, all the feelings I'm feeling, you know, I should be further along or, you know, I just feel behind or I'm just lost in the day to day. I really hope that this helps. Like I said, I will put all your information, um, your Instagram, your website, everything in the bio. If there's someone that's listening, even just reach out, ask questions. And we definitely want to follow along in your journey because I I'm so honored to have you on, especially after you've been so vulnerable and shared everything with the world. I'm sure that comes with a lot of positive feedback and support, but I'm sure it also comes with a lot of issues that you never expected in the journey too. Oh, yes, it it does. uh, For sure. When you put yourself out in the world, you'll have 
you'll definitely have both. But I just think, you know, you have to make yourself happy. You're not going to make everyone happy. So you just have to do mm-hmm. you. Exactly. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with everyone. And um, I truly look forward to seeing your journey as well as your children's journey and just seeing how life comes about for you and finding your happy and your laughter and just not only moving ahead, but also keeping his memory alive at the same time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Little Bit of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow on your favorite platform and interact with the podcast Facebook as well as on Instagram at littlecute1az. We'll see you next time.